Hello, this is Pastor Philip Jeffries. We'd like to thank you for joining us in this lesson in Hebrews chapter 1. I want to apologize for the poor audio that's been recorded. Uh, we had to move our location for repairs in the main sanctuary, and we had set up a video camera uh, to record this in a different building. So uh, next week, we you should not have this issue, but uh, we just want to thank you for tuning in and listening. God bless. But last week, that's what we did. We, we kicked off Hebrews, we started it, and we went over that outline. And one of the things that we immediately see about the book of Hebrews is how important this book really is in the New Testament that gives the Christians a perspective of how the Old Testament is related to the New Testament. We see immediately the superiority of Jesus Christ in Hebrews chapter 1, and all through Hebrews, it, it categorically goes and it says Jesus is better than Moses, Jesus is better than the angels, Jesus is better than Joshua, he's better than Aaron. And so we saw the chapters 1 through 7 really deals with the person of Jesus Christ and his superiority of his person. And then chapters 8 through 10 deals with the, the mediatorial or the priesthood of Jesus, how he's the priest after the order of Melchizedek, and how he has both no beginning or end, and that uh, he is not like Aaron. He has a better priesthood, a better sanctuary. He is a better sacrifice. And then in chapters 10 through 13, it deals with knowing now that Jesus is superior in all these things, and his work is superior, we have full faith and trust in him. So we can rest in the fact of his person and his work. And Hebrews was primarily written to Hebrew uh, Christians. There's something in Jerusalem or around Jerusalem. And this was very close to the time of when the New Testament was kind of new. Um, the preaching was, was new of the faith that was coming. We see the glory of God move from the temple to the church. And so you have people in Jerusalem being saved. You have Jews being saved. They do believe this is the Messiah. They do believe that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God and that God had testified and given a record of his son. This was his son. This is his son. And even proved it by raising Jesus from the dead. And there before many witnesses, many saw Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. And so they believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but at the same time in this time frame, especially when Hebrews was written, you had Jews now who were believers and now were being persecuted. Now imagine growing up in Jerusalem. You've grown up your whole life. You're probably related to a lot of people, and they all are of the Judaism. They're all of the Jewish faith. They're all of the Jew Jewish religion. And here the Lord saved you. And everybody in your family believes that Jesus was not the Messiah. You know, so what? That's going to be a struggle, isn't it? It's going to be a struggle to go from those things that your family still believes are they're justified by works, or they observe this, or they observe that. And so Hebrews is dealing to with the Hebrew Christians who are saved and are going under persecution. They're, they're going under these struggles. They're going over, uh, over these things. 
And so, in Hebrews today, uh, we're going to look at verse 1 and verse 2. Uh, we're going to read through verse 3, but today we're going to primarily talk about this subject, that Jesus is the superior and the last word of God. He is the superior word, and he's the last word of God. So, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, God, who at sundry times, and in diverse manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. So, the first thing that we see immediately Paul, or whoever you think the author of Hebrews is, Paul jumps right in and immediately starts to set up the superiority of Jesus Christ. Not only that, but he sets up this timeline. If you notice verse 1, he's talking about the past. And he's talking about the Old Testament and the past. God had given the word. And then in verse 2, he's talking about the present. Half of these last days, given us uh, by, him, uh, by his son, spoken unto us by his son. Well, verse 1, and it's, it's so amazing how verse 1 summarizes 4,000 years for the history of it. says, Who at sundry times in a diverse manner spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. Now, we're going to take the, this sentence and dissect it in different places. But if you notice, first of all, it's given us a timeline. He spake in the time past. Notice that in verse 1, he spake in time past. And in verse 2, it says that he has spoken unto us. Both spake and spoken are both in the past tense. They happened in the past, and they happened one time, and they're finished. They're complete. God's not continuing to give revelation. He has spoken unto us by his son, and now he's done. He's done speaking through the prophets. He's done speaking through his son. He's done speaking in the way that he spoke before. It all terminated at Jesus Christ. His word of revelation ended at Jesus. So the question you have to ask then is, well, we know God spoke. But what did he say? How did he speak? Who did he speak to, and is, does he have anything more to say? Now, we know that God has spoken in two different ways, general revelation and a special revelation. Now, God has spoken to us by his creation. He has spoken to us that God exists. That's the general revelation. That is when you walk out the door and you see that God exists. And also, Romans chapter 1 talks not only the things that are visible, the glory of God and his Godhead, but also we have a, a, an inner law. We have an inner conscience of right and wrong. So God has, within us, has spoken that he does exist. And so much so that we will be without excuse. One of the things that if you listen to atheists or, you know, hear what they have to say, that they say that believing in God and, and everything is ignorance and it's superstition. But be honest, if you walk outside in God's world, if you walk outside
outside today in this world and you do not automatically see that there's a creator God, I think that's ignorance. That's willful ignorance. God has made it very evident to us through his creation. I mean, look at a, a, a baby, a newborn baby. I just spoke with someone who had a brand new newborn baby and I, I remember holding Jason when he was just born and I was thinking, it's amazing how in one year he's going to be walking all by himself. It's amazing, you know, the, his tongue being no bigger than your little pinky finger. Just how small the baby is and then how they grow and how they even themselves they have children. I mean, just the complexity of God's creation. If you can walk up to a tree and know that there's a God. I mean, you can study that tree, but here's the thing. With general revelation, that tree is not going to tell you for God to love the world that he gave to the God himself. That this sort of belief on him should not perish. The tree's not going to give you that revelation. It's going to give you a general revelation that there is a God. Now, there's a special, there's one way God spoke in times past and now he's speaking. But he's also spoken with what's called a special revelation. A special revelation is a revelation, or the word of God, and when I say revelation, it's God's information. The information of God. Special revelation is the way information that we receive from God that we would not have gotten on our own. We would have not been able to naturally discern. You know, one of the, the things that we see, uh, back to general revelation just for a minute, all these false religions that are out there, they're all based on general revelation. Man concludes there must be a God, so what does he do? He invents a religion. Actually, I looked this up, and it is, I don't know if you've ever looked at this, but I, I went to Google, and I Googled uh, 13 or world religions that are weird. And there's this site, 13 world religions that are just too weird to be mainstream. And some of the, the things that these people believe in all throughout the world are amazing. And one, and I asked about the, the kids on the way here, one group of people worshiped Prince Philip. Or they did, and I guess he just recently died. Uh, there's another religion where the guy said that uh, he was abducted and taken to a planet uh, called Elohim. And there he spoke with Confucius. And, and just all kinds of scattered information. This is the world religion based off of general revelation. If God, if, if you do not have special revelation, you have nothing to base it. I mean, look at Athens. They, they erected the, the statue of, of an unknown God. And remember what Paul did. Paul went to Athens, he went to the Athenians, he went to Greece, and he says, today I'm going to declare to you this unknown God you don't know about. And what did Paul use? He didn't use a scripture, he used creation to say that yes, there is a God, there's only one God, and one God only. And this is the revelation of his son. And this is salvation. And, and so he, using creation, had told this group about God. 
that every earthborn religion is man's attempt to discover something about God. That is man's way to God. The problem is, is we're all natural. God is, is in the supernatural, right? God's spiritual. We can, the natural man cannot discern the things of God. Man's way to God is full of errors and it's full of contradiction, and you see very many uh, religions, world religions out there, and it's usually based off works. But there's a God's way to man. God's way to man is special revelation. And that is what he spoke to the prophets in the times past. In the Old Testament, God, God had to speak to us. We couldn't speak to him. We couldn't go see him. We couldn't go look for him. God had to come to us. So if we're to know anything of God, it has to be him speaking. Now, there's special revelation. And that is when God burst into man's natural, spiritually blind world, revealing who he is and what he has to say. Immediately, you see in the Old Testament, Moses went to the burning bush. And he's like, I must see what this, what this side is. And there he says, Lord, who are you? And God says, I am. I am the I am. I'm the self-existing one. I am God and there is none else. The prophet Isaiah, God told Isaiah this. He says, I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. Isaiah also recorded the spoken word of God to Isaiah, the prophet. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. High as the heavens uh, are high, and higher than the earth, so are my ways above your ways. So we see that God had spoken in times past. In the times past, verse 1, but who did he speak to? It says, he spoke to the fathers by the prophets. Now God revealed himself in specific ways to men. So they can be the instruments of his voice. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. A prophet will represent God to men. A priest represents men to God. A prophet represents God to men, where a priest represents men to God. God spoke directly to the prophet. Moses was a prophet. Now we know that men were used, and their personalities were used, but they were completely in control of the Holy Spirit as they wrote the Old Testament and all the things, all the revelation which God had. Now, when? So now we know what God spoke and who he spoke it to, but when did God speak it and how? Well, it says in verse 1, at sundry times and in diverse manners. Now, sundry times and diverse manners, those are both one Greek word, and it's, it's a little poetic. And that's why a lot of Greek scholars, they just celebrate Hebrew as being just a work of of Greek masters. But sundry times is polymeros, in diverse manners is polytropos. Both of those words have the word poly. Poly means many. 
multiple. So, in sundry times, and that word times means portions or parts. So, God, who had many portions of time, many parts of time, and in many, that's what diverse means, manners. Manners means methods. So, in many ways, so in different parts of history, through the Old Testament, the 4,000 years of history, and in many different methods, he spake. He spake in times past. In the Old Testament, we know that he had spoken to the prophets and the writers of the Old Testament to record the words of God. We have a recording of what he said. So, uh, the many methods uh, throughout the Old Testament are visions, parables, you have types, you have symbols. Uh, he spoke through a burning bush. He spoke through, uh, he even spoke through a donkey at one time in the Old Testament. He spoke through a, a thick cloud, through angels. We see how he spoke to Samuel, you know, that, that small, still whisper in the Old Testament. He used many different ways in the Old Testament. You know, as you're reading the Old Testament, I just, could you imagine being Samuel and hearing God whispering? Your name to you, you'll pick up. I mean, just the different ways. I admire the different ways that God spoke. That he did that in the past. He's not doing that today. Why? Because it tells us this. In verse 2, he hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. He's not using the same methods in the Old Testament. He's not using the diverse manners in the Old Testament. Or him now, he's using his son. He's using one man of way to, to communicate. So that gives us to progressive revelation. Alright, so we talk about general revelation, spiritual revelation, uh, how God has done it in the past, but really to understand the, and it's like I said, Hebrews is so beautiful, it orchestrates to us how everything has been tying together because it tells us that, there, that God had given special revelation in a progressive way. There was a little bit of light. It started Genesis 3.15, right? We see the Messiah would crush the head of Satan. And so we see prophecy start as early as Genesis 3.15. So there's light given. And then there's more light and more light and more light. And as Revelation as the Word of God. Uh, if you started Genesis and you do a read the, the Bible in a year and you have this in your mind, you're going to see a little bit of light, a little bit of light, a little bit more truth, more truth stacked on top of each other until it all culminates and terminates at Jesus. Because all the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. All the words which God had spoken was to his son, about his son, about salvation. And you're going to see this build-up in the 4,000 years. This is called progressive revelation. It, was, it started off as a little bit of light. And today, we have full light of who Jesus is. Back then, they looked forward to the cross. Today, we look back. Now, I'm going to keep talking about progressive revelation. Uh, the Old Testament contained promises where the New Testament fulfilled them. Jesus fulfilled them. In fact, the Old Testament itself, 
uh, indicated that men of faith wrote the Old Testament and trusting in God, but not having received all the promises that were promised in the Old Testament. In uh, Hebrews 11.39, it says, And these all, having obtained a good report, through faith, received not the promises. Uh, Peter talks about their not having the full understanding in 1 Peter. Uh, it says 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit which was in them did signify. This is a really rich verse, and I might have should have maybe had to return to it. But Peter says that the men of old, those who were writing the Old Testament, they had the Spirit of Christ in them, and they were writing about the grace that is to come. And that is for us. Now, progressive revelation does not mean that the people in the Old Testament didn't have any revelation, or they didn't have any understanding. They just didn't have the complete understanding that we have today, looking back at the cross. All the things which God has spoken through his son. Uh, uh, Calvin said this. They were not without the preaching that contains the hope of salvation and of eternal life. But they only glimpsed from afar and shadowy outline what we see today in full daylight. The Christ, even Peter, talks about the Spirit, how Christ in the Spirit was preached, even when Noah was preaching to those who were before the flood. Even the Spirit was being preached. So the people of old, now I'm going to say this, even though they didn't have full life in the Old Testament, they're still saved the same way that we're saved. How are they saved? They were saved on the basis of the cross of Jesus Christ and his shed blood. That's how anybody is saved. It's got to be on the basis of Jesus Christ and his sacrificial atonement for sin. The method they were saved was by faith. The basis was Jesus' blood. The method was by faith. And God imputed them righteousness. Adam was imputed Christ's righteousness. Abraham was imputed Christ's righteousness. Noah was imputed Christ's righteousness. Job was imputed Christ's righteousness. It doesn't matter who it is. The basis of salvation has always been the same. They just didn't have a full re revelation of who Jesus was. And uh, if you ask somebody in the Old Testament, they all knew who the Messiah was. But, but they, what they didn't know is that he would come twice. They didn't know that Jesus would die and that he would come back again the second time. So they had light, but they didn't have as much light as us. Progressive revelation, starting in Genesis and working its way up to Christ, a little more was revealed, a little more revealed, a little more revealed, and even through the prophets. Now, notice in verse 2. Now, in verse 1, it talks about the past. Verse 2 talks about the present. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. Now, I don't know if you write in the Bible, but really, and I kind of want to bring this point over again, 
this verse 1 is speaking about 4,000 years of history. How, how does God divide our time? How do we even divide our time by the calendar? Where there was before Christ and there's after Christ. How is the Bible divided? Before Christ and after Christ. So everything. So verse 1, two, verse one and 2 is before Christ and after Christ. And um, so in these last days. Now, you may hear a lot of uh, the people that, uh, you know, and, and I, I know what they mean, but a lot of people say, well, we must be in the last days because so-and-so and this is happening and this is happening. The last days is a term from the, the Jewish perspective. They use the term last days back then to describe the days of the Messiah. Because they, like I said, when they, they thought Messiah would come, they thought that was it. Everything was over. You know, they didn't have the light that he would die, buried, and rose again, third, and then come back again. Even though the, that we had the prophets. All that was prophesied. But these last days is a term that is used throughout the Bible to indicate the time of Messiah. When Jesus came upon earth, we are in the last days. We're in the last time. John uses it, uh, Isaiah uses it, Micah uses it, the same exact prophecy. And even John says in 1 John, little children, it is the last time. As ye have heard that Antichrist should come, but there are many Antichrists. Hereby we know it is the last time, it is the last days. So it, what, what it means in verse 2, happen these last days, since the time of Christ, the advent of Christ, how has God spoken? He's not speaking in the same way. He's spoken unto us by his Son. Jesus is the superior and the last word. He's the better word. And he's God's final word. Now, when we think about Jesus now as the word of God, the, the word of God came to the prophets in the Old Testament, but who did it come by in the New Testament? It came by Jesus himself. Jesus is called the Word. He's God's Word. He is God, the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in, in verse 14 of John chapter 1, it talks about how the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his grace, his beauty. And it goes on to, to say that, that the law came by Moses, the grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. There is no further word from God to come because Jesus is the final word. Jesus is the last word. He hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. And uh, Moses was a great prophet of God who distributed to people, to God's people, the word from God. And we see the prophets do that in the Old Testament that Jesus is the better. He's better than Moses. Jesus is the superior word of God. Now that doesn't mean that the word of God back then is now irrelevant, but we see it for what it is now. We see the word of God in the Old Testament all pointing to Jesus, the Son of God. All of it. All of it finishes with him. Um, now, we know that God communicated his word in the Old Testament through prophets. Now, how did he communicate it in the New Testament? We know that he communicated through Jesus himself. 
But who wrote it down? We don't see Jesus writing any of the New Testament books. Even though he's the author, but he's not the writer. Who's the writer? The apostles. Jesus gave the word to the apostles. The New Testament is called the Apostles' Doctrine. We understand that. So, but we may say, well, how can Jesus be God's final word when we have all these epistles and apostles that write and all these books in the New Testament? It was the apostles who wrote what Jesus began both to do and to say. The apostles wrote what Jesus said. Uh, think of the apostles, you know, um, Brother Ron Chris gave this illustration. He has a wonderful message on God's final word. Um, think about the apostles as reporters. You know, the, the president goes and makes the State of the Union address. And so it's one person speaking. It's one single source of truth. And what do you see? You see a bunch of microphones right there. And you see TVs. And then even after the State of the Union, you have people talking about what the president just said. That was the apostles. The apostles just wrote down what Jesus had already taught them. And remember what Jesus said. Now, I don't know about you all, but I, I forget that. Now, if, if Jesus had, had said, Philip, I need you to remember what I'm saying, and then I walk out, I'm going to forget half of it. And then, especially having that many different writers, all you know, hearing from the same source, well, you could have contradictions. The New Testament has zero contradiction. So how did they write it down? Well, Jesus told them in John chapter 1, or John chapter 14. He said, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I said unto you. That Jesus would bring the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, and they brought the apostles into remembrance. Who was it that taught about justification by faith? It was Jesus. Who taught about the church, the founder of the church, the church ordinances? It was Jesus. Who was the one that taught about end times? It was Jesus. Who was the one that taught about total depravity, uh, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, eternal security? It was Jesus. He taught all of those things. He's God's final word. So, one of the qualifications of being apostle was you had to have been directly taught by Jesus. What was the qualification of a prophet? You had to have been directly communicated to by God. And that's what the apostles were. They were directly communicated to by God. But they were called into remembrance the things perfectly, perfectly with the Holy Spirit. Remember uh, Hebrews 2, 3 says that his word was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. Who heard him? The apostles and the disciples. John chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus is praying his high priestly prayer. He says, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Through their word. 
You know, today, preachers uh, and teachers, if you're teaching the Word of God, you're doing it faithfully. You are teaching and preaching what the apostles recorded. Jesus preaching. And the Holy Spirit bringing them to perfect remembrance, perfect understanding. But God is not speaking through any other means. What you have um, are those who want to come after Jesus. How many people do we see out there that say, I've got a word from God? I've got a new word from God. God revealed things to me. You know Joseph Smith did that? He did a bunch, a bunch of the founders of those other religions said, God came directly to me. Did he come to you after Jesus? Because he's done talking. He was done talking through Jesus. You didn't get the memo. God's done. All that he ever has to say, he has said through Jesus Christ. The Word. He is the Word. And that is the special revelation. It is progressive in time through the Old Testament through the New. And we see that it is through, you know, one of the, the things that, that I love and think about this was at the Mount of Transfiguration. There, Peter, James, and John were there. And they looked up and they saw Jesus and you know, his raiment was shining, it was bright, it was brilliant. And who did he and who did they see standing with Jesus? It was Moses and Elijah. And what did Peter say? Peter was overwhelmed by this. And he goes, Oh, this is great. We're gonna build three tabernacles. One for each of you. One for Elijah, one for Jesus, one for Moses. And then what happened? A cloud overshadowed them, and the lights went out. They pretty much went out. And then they heard a voice. And they fell. Peter, John, and James fell down to their faces. And there was the voice of God and said, This is my beloved Son. Hear ye him. Don't hear any other sources of truth that are out there trying to confuse you, trying to jam your signals. Hear him. It's only through Jesus. And then what happened when Peter looked up? There was nobody there except Jesus. You know what that says? If you walked up to Jesus and Elijah and Moses, they're having a conversation, you are to adore, worship, and praise Jesus. You can ignore the other two. It's all about Jesus. Were they great? Yes. Were they servants of God? Yes. But they are not better than Jesus. That's what that whole demonstration was on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my beloved son. You're going to build a tabernacle built for you. And only. But we see people again come after Jesus, claiming to be the bearer. And the book of Revelation has a very stark warning to those who add to the revelation of God. If they add to what Jesus has said, all things are complete. In Jesus. The Word of God is complete in Jesus. And in Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that hear it say, Come. 
And let him that is at first come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. If any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part of the book of life, and out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. We just looked at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Next week we're going to look at verses 2 and 3. But today we really need to establish the full impact of those two verses and everything they meant. And it's just amazing. It's a, it's a wonder to have the summary of that. It's so precise that Jesus is not only the even more sure word, he is the superior word. He is also the last word. He's the only word. And all of God's words leading up to Jesus have been about Jesus. And Jesus is final. He's God's final word. If you don't read it in here, it's not from God. Because God has finished speaking through his son. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. Lord, thank you for your word. Father, we ask that you forgive us of our sins. Father, help us by your spirit to open our eyes and our hearts. Father, where we can just adore you and and fall on our knees and praise you. And Father, how for eternity we will praise the Lamb that gave his life for ransom to me, to save me. Not because I love him, not because I love him, but because you love him. And you have given his name above every name, that in his name all the world will bow, and every tongue will confess through your glory. Oh, Father, thank you for your grace to save. Thank you for saving me. Thank you, Father, for all those who do save me. Father, we pray for those of who are our loved ones who are not saved and have not publicly confessed you as their Lord and Savior. We know that it is your work. It's by your grace. We ask, Father, that you just turn to them with eyes of mercy and grace and save them. Rescue them in this life and give them peace. Give them a victory. But, Father, we know that you can. Father, we thank you again for those who are here tonight, those who cannot make it tonight, those who are sick, and with them. We bless each one as we all leave our separate ways until we come back by your will Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen.